Hi, this is Joe Peters with In the Know of Joe, and I'm about to interview Michael Kerwin, who retired about a year back after serving as 10-plus years as the president and CEO of the Somerset County Business Partnership. And in this discussion, we're going to find out how Michael, over those 30-plus years, has helped to shape Somerville into what we know it as today. Please listen in. So hi, it's Joe Peters with Coldwell Banker and my get in the know of Joe. And today I'm interviewing Mike Kerwin, the past president of the Somerset County Business Partnership and a lot of other things. Mike, why don't you introduce yourself and give us a little bit about your background? Thanks, Joe. Uh, as you know, it's been about a year since I retired from the Somerset County Business Partnership. I did that for about 10 and a half years. Uh, before that, I was honored to uh, lead a SSP architectural group, which is the oldest architectural professional firm in Somerset County, founded in 1891. Wow. Uh, so I had the honor of serving two organizations that have been in Somerset County for over 100 years. And the third one, if you include the borough of Somerville, as the mayor in the late 80s. Late 80s. Yeah. And it looks like you went to Georgetown University? Georgetown undergrad, Villanova Law School, wow. and and uh, both both uh, my mother and father are from the Somerset County area. The Cavanaugh's on my mother's side. I got to give them a plug. You may have heard of Walter Cavanaugh, who's my mom's cousin. I have. And uh, my dad's a Kerwin from the Ellen area, Plainfield area. They had a number of, shall we say, speakeasy. Uh, tavern restaurants over this over the decades okay so my roots go deep good 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 so you you went to law school you, did you ever practice law for a few years before i made the uh, first career change which was moving to the architectural world and then the third big change was moving from architecture to uh to the chamber world so it's, it's been interesting and that's a that's where I met you somewhere six seven eight years ago at the chamber, and uh, we got to know each other until your retirement. How did you wind up in architecture with a law degree? Well, it's a long story. I, I won't give you the details. It wasn't a little traumatic. It wasn't totally voluntary, but uh, I I had worked with Dick Shive through part of the story we're going to tell uh, about Somerville. So when uh, I was looking for a job, he he offered me the work at SSP and it was a good fit. And uh, we did, I was there for 18 years. Wow. Did a lot, grew a lot. Wow. So in my mind, and I can't say I know everything, but in my mind, you're the foremost historian on Somerville that's still around. I'm sure somebody knows more somewhere, but <laughs> they're probably- Well, not. there are a couple of historians, but yeah, thank you for saying that. <laughs> um, and what I'd like to talk about today is what Somerville looked like before the mall that opened, I think, in 88, and what the years after it looked like, and then how it got to be where it was a year ago, which is before COVID hit. So I think it's important we just take a moment to kind of think about where Somerset County was in the late 1980s. At that point, if you look at it from a historical point of view, Somerset County up until the 60s, or maybe even into the 70s, 
had an economy based on heavy manufacturing. We forget about that, but we had American cyanamide, we had Union Carbide, we had Johns Manville. And Somerville was basically one of those towns along the railroad that was a bedroom community, community, community for those heavy manufacturing facilities, which uh, employ thousands and thousands of people. Right. Somerset County, to its credit, was able to survive the transformation from heavy manufacturing to a, an economy based on uh, telecommunications and uh, life sciences and pharmaceuticals, taking advantage of the construction of Route 78 and 287, which, uh, you know, when you think about it, it was a remarkable transformation. But during the decades that that happened, all the growth, pretty much 100% took place in the suburban townships surrounding the old town boroughs, which had been built up along the uh, railroad. Right. So one of my favorite stats was in 1980s, during the boom 1980s, um, during the peak areas, uh, years of development, 11 out of 21 towns in Somerset County lost population. Hmm. So in 1988, when I became mayor of Somerville, Somerville had a population that was less than it was in 1960 and basically had a lot of strengths. You know, we had a great uh, historical tradition, community events, strong volunteer fire department, library, county seat, uh, the hospital called it home, but basically had no money. We were flat. Right. Highest tax rate in Somerset County and no rateables and no no real potential for growth at that point. So we had some challenges. And then at that moment, we had to deal with something called the Bridgewater Commons, the opening <laughs> of a of a regional gigantic shopping center. And at that point, people just said, you know what? That's the end of downtown Somerville. Last person there, turn off the lights. Wow. It's over. And I had been elected mayor like I was a mayor for like two months at the point. So I obviously Bridgewater Commons wasn't something that this town of Somerville was a proponent of. The last project I ever opposed was the Bridgewater. I was a brand new councilman before I became mayor. And I, okay. took, I was directed to go up and oppose the approval of the Bridgewater Commons. And I was at the public hearing and realized I was agreeing with the proponents of the Commons. And I vowed at that point in my career never to oppose a project again, and I never did. <laughs> so rather than oppose the Bridgewater Commons, I had to figure out a way as mayor of Somerville back in those days, how to actually use it as a, you know, complement it to right. work with it. And that's so we basically, Joe, what we needed, what we needed at that moment was a playbook. Somerville needed to invent a playbook on how we can compete in this new era with one catch. We had no money to spend. <laughs> so not only did we knew a new need a new playbook, we needed to do it in a way little or no cost. And that was the challenge we faced. Wow. So what were the steps that you took to 
get you out of where you were at, which was not. So with that background, looking to play offense, to create this new playbook and find and do it with no, no resources. I read an article in the League of Municipalities talking about a special improvement district, which is a new concept in New Jersey at the time, also known as a business improvement district nationally. Right. And the idea was to create a district downtown, levy an additional tax, and that would give a reason and allow and create an organization so that the downtown could be managed and approved as a collective whole. The insight to that was not only was that the big competitive advantage of the Bridgewater Commons and other regional shopping centers was not so much that they were brand new and shiny and all that, but they had collective management. Mm -hmm. They were managed as a single entity. And so by creating a special improvement district downtown, Somerville, we are able to manage downtown Somerville as a whole. And I will note for Somerville's perspective, we're a small town, but our downtown's huge. It is. That is not, that is not a small downtown. It is a very significant retail Main Street district. Right. And in fact, comparable in square footage to the mall, to the Congress. Interesting. So we now, so we created, we went through this process. We used Cranford as our model, um, created a uh, committee with very open process and it culminated in a public hearing to adopt the ordinance. 100 people showed up, 75 are vehemently opposed because we're raising taxes. Right. And it turned out to be three, three vote and I broke the tie. Hmm. And now the interesting it was split on party lines. So it wasn't a political issue, it was just a tough vote. Right. And two of the councilmen that voted for it became mayor later on. Isn't that interesting? So anyone who thinks they get ahead politically is by playing it safe? No. <laughs> so we have we have improvement districts today in New Jersey. Uh, I think Bound Brook. I don't think Somerville's in there. Is that the same concept? Yeah, that's the same. So what, Somerville was the first. We were okay. one of the first in the state of New Jersey. And what was interesting, Joe, when we did it, it received a lot of recognition. And then things started happening because Somerville was taking steps to help itself um, that would probably would not have happened otherwise. Mm -hmm. So the first thing that happened was uh, the guy named Frank Torpy, he was in charge of giving away J&J's money, community affairs for J&J, uh, good friends with a guy named Ray Bateman who had run for governor. Right. Uh, approached me and basically said, we seize what you did. <laughs> we saw what you did, and that inspired them to offer to help uh, Somerville, similar to the way Jane J was helping New Brunswick. Okay. To which to what I said, Hallelujah. Yeah. So they put together a public-private partnership with all the major companies in Somerset County led by J&J &J, 
which is became a group called the Somerset Alliance for the Future. And one of these organizations that ultimately became the joined merged to become the Somerset Business Partnership. But that is how that started. And through that group, we had access to uh, creating a vision plan to then how lay the groundwork for redevelopment in Somerville using experts, Joe, that were like some of the best in the United States. Wow. The expert who designed the Baltimore Inner Harbor yep. was the expert that the consultant we worked with to look at downtown Somerville. And we created a vision plan. And what we realized was that a lot of the thinking that we had in Somerville was based on suburban models. The idea that all uses should be separate, that low density is good, that housing should not be downtown. Right. That floor area racial ratios are important to keep the, the density low. All in the, op the exact opposite of what we needed to be doing in downtown. <laughs> but we didn't know any better. Right. So the, you know, we got educated quickly and, you know, it's hard to believe, but back, you could not live downtown Somerville back in those days. It was not a permitted use. That's amazing. So we, with that education, we updated our zoning and not, this is not anti-suburban, but it was like, make it more, more uh, conducive to downtown downtowns, and uh, that's what happened. And so that was another step we had. So meanwhile, the district management corporations working, they're putting in new sidewalks, new uh, making the place look better. We're managing. We're starting to promote ourselves. We have a public-private partnership in place now. Uh, we got our zonings updated to make it more conducive to redevelopment. And then the word's starting to get out. And then we got approached by Jack Penn, who was the uh, assemblyman for uh, Somerset County, who happened to be the chair of the transportation committee and the assembly of the legislature, offering to fund an extension of Veterans Memorial Drive to create a loop around downtown Somerville, something that Somerville have been talking about doing it for 50 years. Right. He shows up at a council meeting and says, I can get you the money. Huh. Have a so, seat. <laughs> exactly. Now, the point of these stories is, you see how they started feeding on each on itself and work right. started getting out when everybody wanted to help Somerville. So now we got money from the state to create the transportation improvements that we needed. So we had transportation, downtown's looking better, better zoning and the uh, sidewalks and new physical improvements and things like that. So it all happened, it started kind of all happening at around the same time. So it started right around when the mall came in, right after the mall came in? Uh, yes. It was late 19, it was like the late 80s, 1988. Yep. And, uh, and those steps, what I just mentioned, all took place in the next four years or so. 
So what was the first thing? We're now somewhere just shy of the mid nineties. What was yeah. the first thing that manifested itself as a result of all of this? Well, if you don't mind, I'm going to take a little pause. Okay. Because while we're laying the groundwork, so, but, so for the record, notice that we haven't spent any money yet. Right. Congratulations. So we now we have the playbook and we haven't spent the money yet, but things are happening. So the, the challenge was met, at least initially. On the final thing, just to fill, go full circle with the commons that we love dearly, um, rather than fight the commons, we actually created a regional center with Bridgewater and Raritan and Somerville so that we'd have joint planning so that we do all start working together. Okay. So it was another thing we did. Which again, it was the first in the, a lot of this stuff was the first in the state of New Jersey. Regional planning like that was very unusual in New Jersey. So we did that. So you know, now we're at the table with the Bridgewater Commons figuring out how we can work together. Does that still exist today? Yes. Wow. Still does. I did not realize that. So uh, so we'll take a break now to talk about having fun. Right. Because we all so while this is going on, we decided to enjoy ourselves. We always had the Somerville bike race every Memorial Day. Right. The, again, there's something, the, the word started getting out. We started a group of us, and this is almost the high holy day of St. Patrick's Day tomorrow. <laughs> the St. Patrick's Day parade started around that, which became one of the biggest parades in the county. Right. And then a few years later, we did Jazz Fest, which is a uh, Rick St. Pierre from Verve started that. I forget the exact time, but it's a few years later, which is like a world-class jazz fest. Okay. And it started this tradition, which continues over the years. Now we just did a really great uh, exhibit on Division Street. It's still up there now, I think, for Black History Month. Right. But we've been started so so Somerville started celebrating our diversity in a really cool way. So it's a place, and, and that kind of culminated in one of the projects which came by that, that was more about, I'd say about 10 years ago, was the creation of Division Street. Right. Which is a, a, a pedestrian only street. Now the history of pedestrian only streets and downtowns is mixed at best. In Somerville's case, it's been a tremendous success. And as I point out, Santa Claus needed a place to come. Yep. The community needed a place to gather. Right. So one of the, the, the things by these events and creating the Vision Street is that Somerville was the place you went to to connect with other people in a really healthy, diverse community kind of way. And that became part of our, and that always was kind of like what we were about, but we kind of consciously started supporting that. Reinforce it, right. Yeah, so we had Friday night cruisers with the cars. We had start bands started playing on the weekends. We had the street fairs. And then we had more and more events. And then as the new restaurants came in, there were every kind of ethnic cuisine you could think of. So from a diversity point of view, it kind of tied into that. It was, it was pretty cool. So when year-wise was the 
point where you felt like you had arrived as the new Somerville? Well, what happened was when I look back retrospectively uh, from my years as mayor, the one thing we had gotten that road constructed, but it didn't lead to the redevelopment along the eastern end of Main Street, which was historically kind of the weaker end right. that I thought it would have led to. And so when I was with SSP, um, I was introduced to a guy named Anthony DeSapia from the Sapio Management who wanted to basically said, I want to help redevelop, I want to work on redeveloping the east end of Main Street. To which case I said, thank you, God. Yeah. So I had another shot. Now I'm working at, through the architectural firm to do something special in Somerville. So and you say the east end, that's from like North Broad on? That's from Bridge Street down North the hill Street. toward right. uh, past the Somerset Hotel. Got it. And Anthony, there was a lot of junkyards and some environmentally challenged sites. Anthony, to his credit, was able to acquire these sites and proposed a, a building, um, the first building, which he put up in record time, got a great, created a lot of credibility with the town. So here comes the culmination. Anthony goes to the town, DeSapio goes to the town and says, if you help me build a parking deck, we can build, I can build uh, three more office buildings, total of four, and completely transform the east end of uh, uh, Main Street. Wow, so parking was holding it back in his mind. Yes. Now, if you want to develop the east end of Main Street like suburbia, you will only have surface parking on the street, right. on, on the ground level, and you'll have one building. But if you build a parking deck, you'll have four buildings. That's amazing. So the pitch was, the part, so we showed the picture of the parking deck and said, this is not a parking deck. This is a rateable producing machine. Right. Every space that you create will, will produce the following amount of square footage of office space which translates to the following rateables, the following tax benefits to the borough. Now, today that parking garage is no fee. Was it always that way? That's right. That's, that's great. Now here's where the borough to its credit was under the leadership of Mayor Dave Hollett who gets a lot of credit. There was three options, a 300 park car deck, a 500 park car deck, a 700 car deck, the borough, it was 50-50 deal. Borough was basically contributing 50% plus or minus. Right. They went for the big deck. If you're going to do it, do it. Yep. They went with the big deck. And now there's four office buildings. And it looks like a downtown. It looks like a downtown. Because it does. You, you come out of that garage, you can go three or four different ways. And you're all in new. <laughs> so that was the transformation. Because now, now we were spending money but it was more of an investment. So that, that's a new chapter in the playbook. This is under the playbook, public-private partnership. Okay. And that's basically what it was. Borough Somerville uh, partnered with the Sapio management to build a 700 car parking deck, 
to generate the kind of density that we were looking for in Somerville. And what year did that garage go up? Oh boy, I knew you were going to ask me. I would say about, it's about 20 years now, 15, okay. something like that. So early 2000s. Yeah. And now I'm witnessing from, this is about where I got involved in Somerville in the 2015, 16. And I, I went through the leadership program in 18. And there's all sorts of downtown apartment living space being built. Um, some, as far as most, of, I, I'm going to say it backwards, most high end with a little bit of uh, what, what's required for affordable housing. So the story there, that's the next chapter of the playbook. Okay. Uh, because Jack Morris comes to town, he's the big developer, and he proposes a multi-story development on Main Street. Now, they, they, you go back historically, Somerville has always had very multi, large multi-story buildings designed to impress, located along Main Street. Unfortunately, over the years, a lot of them had burned down and been replaced by kind of not too pretty one-story strip mall type buildings. Okay. So the idea was to go back to our roots and create some impressive multi-story buildings. And the story is when Jack Morris presented it to the borough, the borough said it's not big enough. So think about that. That's again, a culmination of a different way of thinking about development. Right. Because, you know, and then in, in suburban there, you know, that they get they, the reaction is always it's too big, make it small, make it small. Right. Somerville is said, no, make it bigger. Because it's Main Street. It's right. supposed to be big. And they created four stories along uh, Main Street, top three stories residential, which hadn't been allowed, even allowed not too many years before. And the first floor was retail, retail. Uh, and restaurant. Now the, the playbook, what the playbook said, in order for that to happen, the borough offered or entered into an agreement with Morris to do a payment in lieu of taxes called a pilot. This was something that had been pioneered in other urban areas of the uh, state like Jersey City, but hadn't been used before in Somerset County. So once again, Somerville was doing something no one else had done. Special <laughs> Improvement District, public-private yep. partnership. Now we're doing pilots. Wonderful. And we did a pilot with Morris in order to help uh, support that investment because it's, it's harder to... Um, to develop in a downtown setting than it would be on a cornfield, shall we say? Right, right. So that's what the theory is on the on the pilot. So what what exists today where that four stores is that where Starbucks and, and Wolfgang's is? Well, that's when we knew we were on a roll because we kept on saying, "When are we going to get a Starbucks?" Yep. So we got a Starbucks. Now Starbucks is not going to come to downtown Somerville unless the demographics say it right. works. Starbucks adds a half a percent to your real estate value in your zip code. Uh, oh, really? It's just proven. And the yeah. only other thing that you could have better is a, there's two things you could have better. One is a Trader Joe's. And the second one is a Trader Joe's of a liquor store, which there you can you only have three right, of in New Jersey. Know. Yeah. So then we got Wolfgang's. 
Wolfgang's located in New York, Miami Beach, Beverly Hills, Somerville. Right. Yep. And so, I mean, I always laugh. Everyone laughs when they say that, but it's true. It's a great so, restaurant. I mean, we had eaten in the New York one several times. And uh, when I saw it coming to Somerville, I've yet to eat there yet in Somerville, but it's on our bucket list. Uh, yeah. It's a, he, most people think it's Wolfgang Puck, who Marilyn knows personally, her son used to work for him, but it's not. And Wolfgang was the head waiter at the steakhouse in Brooklyn, I'm trying to what it's called, and started his own business from there. And uh, it's it's a it's it's the home of a hundred dollar steak in New York. I hope in Somerville it's not that high. Well, it's not cheap. Yeah, <laughs> they go there for special occasions. Super. So that brings us up into the 2010, early 2010s. Yes. So, you know, just to complete the playbook, we uh, the borough under you know they have an economic director, uh, Colin Driver. He's deserves credit that was a special program for food deserts and urban areas. And we were able to tap into that. That led to the brand new shop right in downtown Somerville. Right. That's another program. Now we're up to, you know, get that to the list of things that Somerville had done. No one else in Somerset County had done that. We got a brand new shop right. And then they started doing things on the landfill, which we can, that's a whole different hour discussion, but it's, yeah. you know, part of the, the toolkit. So it kind of leads up to, you know, we were, we were building up this momentum over all these years, right up. And, and the story I always tell is like, you know, we were always hearing like Somerville's doing great, but we would always hear the, but yeah. You know, but it's no Morristown, but it's no Princeton. And then we stopped hearing the but. Right. So now it's like, Joe, you know, Princeton's a great town, but, <laughs> but it's no Somerville. Somerville's just as good, if not better. I mean, so, and then COVID hit. And then COVID hit because I could recall, and we were pretty close talking to each other through these years. That Marilyn and I went to the Oktoberfest about two or three yes. years ago. And yes. we walked through it and we decided, you know what, this is a younger generation than us. First of all, <laughs> one of us drank beer. And secondly, um, this is not. So we just started to walk around and we ate in a Mexican outdoor restaurant. But there was three or four restaurants I would go back and try. We were really totally impressed as that what the diversity was, as you call it in the restaurant fair there. And I don't yeah, think it's a, we've it's got a great a place. It's, the street. Yeah, it's world cool. It's a great place to hang out. Just hang, you know, it's a great place to eat and drink, really. We're getting down to it. And I've had a tour of the new uh, brewery there and he yeah. has, must have multi-millions of dollars in the equipment in that. I mean, it's a very deep store. And yes. Very and impressive. they have plans there for the develop the lower level at some point. But uh, yeah, they got, I felt bad for those restaurants. COVID was, you know, last year was been tough, but we tried our best. We allowed them to, do, you know, we fortunately some were able to do takeout, and then they had dining room dining on the sidewalk and uh, Verve and the village. Or we were able to set up some tents in the backyard of their place. Uh, but no, you know, let's not kid ourselves. It hasn't been hasn't been easy. It hasn't, and you know, we're looking at. I'm trying to remember who I was talking to earlier, but only about 10% of the state is yet inoculated. 
And Marilyn and I are starting to feel our Cheerios that, okay, we probably can't get sick, but we're still very cautious that we could carry it to our families. So, Joan, you and I are boomers, right? Yeah. So now that the boomers are inoculated, you think we're going to sit by patiently while the rest of the population gets inoculated? No. <laughs> As a matter of fact, my theory is the boomers being boomers are not going to wait. They're going no. to want to get out. I think as I said, we went to Short Hills just because we had we had to get out of the house on Sunday. And I, yeah. I'm totally unimpressed how you can walk around and look at cars. They have a Mercedes convertible in there. It's 397 on the sticker. And nice. it's like who buys these cars? Then and, <laughs> whatever. I mean, I'm impressed when you're you're into the upper one when you get just below 100 k I'm saying, wow, that's some car. When you see one that's four times that. I, I think you had asked me one time, what does is, what is Flemington feel about Somerville? And I'm saying it's lust. You know, I talked to Jack yeah. Cust, his interviews on this series earlier, about three months ago, and he's finally got the breakthrough and he's building. Yeah, I wish him well. Yeah. He had to cut back a lot. I mean, it's not going to be as high and he's not going to have as many parking Oh, they didn't spaces. ask him to make it, make it bigger? I guess not. Huh? Well, and it's a pilot <laughs> too, so... They messed. They didn't want it to look obtrusive downtown. I mean, uh, what what I think about Somerville, especially as you come in down 28, get into Somerville from the west end, is right. it just gets better and better and better. And then once you get past the Courier News Building, okay, you're sort of at the end of the earth business wise, but it's right. still a nice town from there. On there's a lot of there's an attorney's office I go to once in a while down there for closings and whatever. Um, Somerville, to me, is the epitome of what a town would like to turn itself back into, especially after going through the 1988 when the Bridgewater Mall happened. And I imagine the years right after that, it was a very hurting town. Well, we, again, we just, it was, to me, the, and then it's going to be a little more philosophical, <laughs> Up until the 60s or 70s, you could the, the development pattern in Somerset County was was t Main Street, rural. You could walk to a sheep farm from downtown Somerville. Wow! So there wasn't the suburban subdivision pattern, or the big office complex along the interstates. So the uh, the theory, the the wish, which I think has now been kind of validated, was that development pattern was not sustainable. Right. That at some point it would end and there would be a good reversion back to more traditional lifestyle, more traditional way of living characterized by downtowns and and more community walking walkability and that kind of stuff. Now, now what we didn't predict was that when that change happened, it would happen as quick as it did, and it was really the 2008-2009 recession that stopped that suburbanization in its tracks and then kind of led back toward the refocus on downtowns. And, right. uh, and that's the way I looked at it. Now, now you can argue, now, you can, now back in those, that last 10 years, New York City was booming. Right. Now, now we come into the COVID thing, you know, what, how's that 
impact everyone, the whole thing. I don't know. That's where uh, you see a lot of New York license plates. I, I think the move west has slowed down a little. I don't think it's reversed itself yet. Jeff Alto, who's the fellow I listen to real estate wise, says it will reverse. It's got to reverse. You can't throw New York away. People are going to go back there. But right. it's not in the cards. I mean, New Jersey real estate wise saw, according to Jeff, 11% appreciation last year. Somerset County is more like 7%. So I would think any place closer was higher. Um, but you got to go to Somerset County till it really gets nice. I mean, you said it best. I, I do a commercial that says you, you pass Newark Airport on 78, and in about 20 miles, you're about exit 41 on 78, and you're starting to say, wow. I can see yeah. why people live out here <laughs> and it just gets nicer and nicer and nicer. It just depends how far you want to drive. Um, the, the fact is, I don't think a lot of the jobs are going to go back to the office. I think the office no, so are going to follow the people out. And uh, I, I talked to John about it as well, John Maddox. And he said, yeah, I mean, the jury's still out. What happens to all the commercial area, but between him and Jim Hughes, Jim Hughes calls the hub as a club, is that you got to have a place for people to congregate. And that's yes. what John is saying. You need that corporate yes. culture to come together. Yes. And that will happen. It will just the way real estate followed the people, the mall came third. People started building people came to the real estate, they started building the stores that people wanted and then the mall happened. And then everything sort of went back to New York for 20 years, but I don't see it going all back to New York. I see a hybrid of what's working so that people can literally work where they live. And now what used to be the downtown and some of the burnt out towns, which we have a few of, right. become, the last mile drop points for people like Amazon and others where you don't have to have the truck come to your house. You can go there and see for a small store of a distribution depot. But yeah. you know, my son lives in Cerville and he's saying, dad, they, they got these little, the Rite Aids are all now FedEx distribution points. So really? well, and, and Amazon distribution points. So we're seeing repurpose of downtown where downtown is not going to go back to retail. But I've yet to assess, I, I've been trying to get uh, Rick from uh, the verb to come on and talk. Yeah, Rick would be great. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm trying to assess how bad is downtown Somerville hurt? Because downtown, a lot of places are hurt bad. Yeah. I think, I think the fact that we had the special improvement district and what's now known as the downtown Somerville Alliance, we were able to do some things maybe more nimbly. We had the ability to respond in a way that towns that didn't have that infrastructure could not. Um, but you mentioned leadership Somerset. I'll, I, we, I, over the years, have given this talk to the youth leadership class. Okay. And it's on the topic of Somerville. I do it with the Somerville board playing board chair, Bernie uh, Collin Driver, the economic development. So uh, last time I asked them, now, now bear in mind, this is not a cross section of high school. These are potential leaders, high school leaders, kids. Right. But I said, we're going to, I'm going to ask you about the Somerville of the future. And you get to pick one. So pick, you want a Somerville that downtown that's fun, diverse or walkable? or kind of healthy, walkable type of thing. 
uh, one kid voted fun. I don't know who that kid. And it was a even tie between diverse and walkable. Right. Which I thought was really interesting. So I think, I think the future of downtown is a place where you can connect on a human level in a way that is meaningful and a way that you can't, you're going to need to do that because, other, you know, when you're in your home behind a, you know, at some point you have to have a human connection. Right. And I think the, we, we call it the downtown Somerville experience. We're going to provide a unique experience that is will will you know make it an attraction and 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 kind of somewhat just address a really basic human need to connect that's the way i look at it well and and back in 08 when maybe a little bit earlier when we started all working from home initially that's where the the bookstores came and uh, you know you needed that outlet to go i missed bookstores yeah, yeah. Now, most of those have gone away. There's still few around, but Somerville is that. And I think what took over from bookstores are, are the Starbucks because a yes. Starbucks or a Panera is a meeting place anymore. And how many times I've had a meeting in Starbucks? Now yeah, I can do sure. it over Zoom. <laughs> so my uh, someone on his, took his wife out <clears throat> for his, um, he had to have two young kids and they grew up in Somerville. He did. And he, I said, go downtown and just check it out. Tell me what you think. And uh, he described it as a playground. <clears throat> I love it. Somerville is a playground. So go down there and have fun. <laughs> have fun, be diverse. And it's got everything you need. I mean, do you really need to go anyplace else for dinner? Do you really need to go anyplace else for shopping? You know, maybe if you need a Brooks Brothers, you got to go to a mall. But downtown Somerville's got a little bit of everything else. Well, I do, you know, when we were able to travel pre-COVID, my wife and I got around a few places and, and we would always compare it to back home. And it made me realize, you know, a lot of the places, in, you know, Rick St. Pierre, don't give him a plug. You know, we're talking world-class. These are great places, right, in Somerville. We're not talking, this ain't the minor leagues. We're enjoying a great lifestyle there. Right. And I, I think with the the advent of the high-rise developments for, I don't know what you'd call it. It's it's not, it's it's the resurgence of urban downtown living. When people my age don't want a mega mansion anymore that I have to cut the grass and pay taxes on. Yeah. I think more of what's where can I go and live and enjoy life a little bit more. And Somerville is one I've considered because sure. we took a look at some of the places we were going up and we said, we're going to come back and look further at this because it's sort of got everything you need. The biggest issue. I rented a property in on North Bridge Street that was above a dentist office and they had no parking over in a dentist parking lot. So it was hard to rent. But right. still, I had two girls come out of Raritan, two women. Actually, I'm not allowed to use the term girls because I don't mean it as the way it sounds. But you can just two, edit the tape, will you? <laughs> okay. But these two women came out of Raritan and said, we'll figure out where to put the car. We want to be in downtown Somerville. And well, here's a new trend. You like trends. I know you do. Yeah. Uh, I, I just I only heard this trend in the last three months. It's retired couples going from two cars to one car, and it's then building a lifestyle where they don't they, they don't need more than one car. I, I can never, understand it. And never heard that before in my life, 
until the last couple months. We have, um, and when you think about it, it, there's you would save a lot of money. You definitely could. You yeah. got double insurance, double lots of things. Yeah, we we could almost live in one car, almost, and we have three. So sometimes it's <laughs> right. just toys. I mean, one's a Corvette, so I mean it's a toy. But I know that's a hobby car. Yeah, yeah. I had a a new lease car two years ago, and brand new leased car. I think I put four thousand miles on it between March of last year and September. It it had so few yeah. miles on it. Yeah, I had your real estate guy. Yeah, and I there was no place to go for the first few months. And then when it started taking off again, it took a while to assimilate, but I, it, we used it so little, I had to go get, go back to jam and get a new battery put in because <laughs> it never charged it up. He said, you're not the first one to come. It's not your fault, but uh, there's so many things that have happened as a result of COVID. I think I'm going to uh, circle back and see if I can get Rick to join me on what he sees for the next 12 months in downtown. Uh, well, he was on the front lines, that's for sure. Yeah. And he did some really innovative stuff that I mean, you'll have a great conversation with him. That's great. That's great. I may ask you to get me his email after we get done. Sure. So, Mike, I, uh, I think we've come to the conclusion of what we want to do. I think I'd like to have you on again in the future at some point in time, but... Uh, let me say goodbye for now, and I'm going to just turn the, re- turn the recorder off. Glad to have you. Same here. It was glad to be here. Thanks. The next time you're visiting downtown Somerville, think back about how a lot of those things that you're witnessing today that makes it such a joy to visit came to be. A lot of them were the direct results of Michael Kerwin's involvement, and it's really enjoyable to sit back and listen to the history of downtown Somerville, which a lot of us may not know the details of. Michael, thank you for your contributions. One of the biggest decisions in your lifetime is buying or selling a house. Choosing a realtor with strong client communication, technology, and marketing skills will dramatically improve your chance of success. That's why Hunterdon and Somerset's residents rely on Joe Peters. Joe believes his clients deserve a smooth and seamless experience, not a roller coaster ride. As a Coldwell Banker Sales Associate with 20 years of experience, he's helped hundreds of people to achieve their goals and dreams, no matter where they were in the buying or selling process. Here's what his satisfied customers have to say. Joe guided us through the process of selling our home and made a complicated transaction appear seamless. Joe is diligent and responsive without being pushy and truly keeps his clients' best interest in mind. He would return calls within minutes if he didn't pick up. Joe accomplishes this by approaching every transaction from a business perspective. Initially, he tries to fully understand your goals and dreams and make them his own. Then he takes the mass amount of data that's available and distills it down to a few understandable action points. And finally, he controls the entire process through technology and marketing. The end result to you is a smooth, rewarding customer experience. Let Joe show you how to take his professional expertise and put it to work for you. To contact Joe, go to jpeters.com. You can call 908-238-0118 or text to 908-304-4660.